We are crossing an equator of sorts. The shift from the traditional workplace to one in which people in many professions are able to work as individuals and teams from anywhere is a significant one. It has allowed us, some will say forced us, to travel over a dividing line that has traditionally defined and separated work and home, at least in theory. Anyone who has ever had to return emails from home in the evening will likely disagree with that. Home and work have not been truly separate for a long time. But this new side of the working world is now before us, uncharted waters for many, including managers who have to question how to manage people from wherever they happen to be. Hello and welcome to Cool Time Life. I'm Steve Prentice. Each of our Cool Time Life podcasts focuses on a topic dealing with people, productivity, technology, and life, and each offers ideas and facts that you need to know about to thrive in today's busy and changing world. An index of our podcasts is available at steveprentice.com under the podcast link. Today, I have the privilege of talking to a person who literally wrote the book on this subject. Alberto Silvera is a tech sector executive who is passionate about his industry and even more so about the people he works with. He is the kind of thought leader that has to be listened to because he has been there and done it. His book, Building and Managing High-Performance Distributed Teams, lays out a plan for doing just that, bringing people together in a way that is perfectly suited for this new normal. Not only does it present a number of easy-to-follow techniques for managing distributed teams on a functional and emotional level, the book also uses a number of nautical references to crewing and sailing a vessel. I love that. This reflects Alberto's own lifelong passion for boating and racing. I caught up with Alberto in April 2022, nearly one year after the release of his book. Alberto, welcome to the Cool Time Life podcast. Hey, Steve. It's a great pleasure to be here and to be talking with you. It's always a pleasure, so super happy to, to be here. Well, fantastic. Thank you. This is an exciting time to be in this business, talking about how people work, how uh, things are changing since we've come through two or more years of COVID. And now we're looking to this new normal, as it's being called. And obviously, I can think of no better expert to talk about this since you have lived this life, you have done this, and you have written the book about it. And that's, of course, one of the things I want to talk about today is, is about your book. And I like, for example, first of all, that the, the book has the uh, official title of Managing High-Performance Distributed Teams, but this is a personal voyage for you as well, and there's a lot of nautical themes here, including the website crossingtheequator.com. So just to start out, how would you describe what the book is about for those who are just considering what the future of their workplace and their business might be in this new normal? That's a very good question, Steve. And many people come to ask me, like, uh, what's the future is going to look like? So, well, the future is what we are living now. Um, and uh, what the book carries is it's way prior to the pandemic. So everything that I actually wrote in the book, it's based on my own experience for the past two decades, building teams, collaborating with teams and uh, in many different locations. And then, yes, the pandemic came and then everyone is kind of like trying to figure out, oh, my goodness, I don't have like the central office anymore. And how do we collaborate? How we move things forward? And that was for me, um, to be very honest, Steve, I didn't realize that uh, the number of people, companies and teams that were not prepared for something like that. For me, like uh, not allowing an employee to be working from a, a different location it was some way in a surprise, but uh, that's why I decided to accelerate the production of the book uh, during the pandemic with the intent to help 
managers, executives, and honestly, anyone on the boat, as I make several analogies with sailing and boating, which is one of my passions, uh, which we can talk later. But yeah, the book is about building high-performance teams. And yes, distributed teams, because I think that's the, that's the present and that's the future. And the only thing that COVID did was to accelerate a process that was already happening. And this is something that I love is the fact that you have lived this. You know, some people will just write about this from, let's say, an armchair perspective. But you have built businesses. You have done this, uh, practicing what you preach in terms of this. But if we go down to, first of all, just the basic terminology here, people can use the terms distributed teams and remote teams interchangeably to just refer to those who are not working in the office anymore. So what would you explain to somebody as the main difference between distributed and remote? That's a very good question, and uh, and you're right. Uh, people use the word remote and distributed from from different perspectives, and many times without understanding the the real meaning. And um, imagine the word prior pandemic: one or two employees would work away from the central office, and then people would actually talk in that uh, meeting room, and then one person would point to the whiteboard or have a side conversation while you had like that person work from home. That's actually a typical example of like what uh, a remote work actually is. So there's like the, the center office and then you have some of the people uh, working away from that particular location. I'm not saying that remote is better than distributor or vice versa, but what I, the way that I like to put it is that it is an evolution. Mm-hmm. Many companies had like the work remote for quite some time and then with the pandemic what it did was like everyone now is remote and then when everyone is remote that actually it's when people start to collaborate start to actually share all the information that everyone can see and that's when the definition that what distributed actually means and I emphasize a lot that on the book because uh, there's a big difference there you, you don't you don't want like team members to feel outsiders or to feel left of important information to make decisions, right? So I like to say that when everyone is remote, when we have that mindset, you'll become distributed. So that's a key definition, Steve. I think I read in the book, you said, you know, when everyone is remote, no one is remote because everyone's patching in from somewhere and there's a, there's a great sense of equality, which I think is marvelous. And we are sort of evolving away from, let's say, 50 years of people used to only meeting in meeting rooms and getting used to the fact that this can be done. We can interact from any particular distance and anywhere in the world, which vastly expands a company's hiring potential, right? And, and, and employees' potential for finding a new job. It doesn't have to be in the commuting belt anymore. So since the book has come out, you know, we're building this for years before the pandemic hit. Pandemic supercharged everything. And your book came out exactly at the right time to talk about this new approach. Have you been observing companies now embracing this? Or has your observation been that people are fighting this? Where are people going with the idea of companies using and hiring employees who are in, on a distributed system? Uh, parts of this conversation, I think I leave that every day, either like in Slack groups on the news or like, uh, like CTO groups that I usually attend. There's always this question. So what's happening? Uh, are you coming back into the office? Are you in the hybrid? Are you like... So I think we all have seen some shape or form of it. But I think uh, some companies uh, and some leaders uh, definitely uh, learned pretty quickly 
that whatever was working before will not necessarily work today or even going forward. People realize the power of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I saw a picture uh, in a social media another day that was two pie graphs. And then one side was working from home. And then was just like a pie chart, just saying working. <laughs> and then working from the office was like uh, the coffee break, the social and, and all the aspects from like the wor- uh, old word, as I like to refer and then uh, I'm actually working, replying to that uh, particular image, which was very popular, because I think that's not accurate. I think that this new distributed mod- model, I have like now time to take care a little bit of myself, to take care of like the work, to actually be picking up, uh, you know, uh, my kid from, uh, from the bus station. So I have like a much better life quality than before. To the point where we are talking about what companies and what I'm seeing, I seen companies like Google opening offices in cities and in different formats that they were not thinking before. So they can actually having places where people can go. Uh, you have companies, you know, like Coinbase, I think uh, Slack, that are fully distributed. Uh, even the company that I work now, Lone Starter, we are like uh, fully distributed as well. Meaning we hire the best talent regardless of where they are. But that doesn't mean that we will not actually have the opportunities to meet each other in person and uh, strengthen our human connection and all of that. So I see companies going everywhere, Steve. The question is, which ones will be able to attract and retain the best talent? Because mm-hmm. the eight to five, uh, nine to six uh, work mindset, I think that's what will not come back. I think like the companies and the leaders that are making the right decisions now, it's what's going to make the difference between success and failure as we look to the next couple of years, for sure. And I've seen this as well with regards to the research I've been doing and some of the previous episodes I've been working on here on the podcast, just talking about the fact that people, when they work from home, as you said, that pie chart, uh, it can be very easy for them to fall into just complete work. I mean, that there is a there is a motivation for a lot of people to do work, which is kind of flying in the face of what a lot of managers expect. They think that if employees are not being watched currently or are watched constantly, uh, they're not going to want to work. You know, there's a sort of like an anti-work mentality is what they believe. So this has led to a, an issue of trust with managers saying, can I trust my people to work? So if you had, if you were sitting across the table from a manager who said just that, how can I manage people that I can't see? What guidance would you give that person in terms of how they could embrace this? I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm kind of smiling now because I actually was uh, in the past in, in the same situation, my, my boss came like, I, I went to the office and he came to me and said, like, where's your team? I, I don't see anyone here. And I said, wait a minute, are we, uh, did we miss any deliverables? Are we missing anything? We're like, uh, what, what are we missing here? No, where's everyone? And this was prior to the pandemic, right? So that was maybe three years prior uh, uh, the breakdown. And, uh, but in his head was, I need to see people sitting in a chair yeah. to believe that they are actually uh, working. That was actually a, um, a unit of performance measurement. Yes. Oh, someone got early in the office and left, and left the office late. Oh my goodness, that person is working above and beyond. No, not necessarily, you know. 
So I think as any other relationship, trust has to be the foundation. If you don't trust, there's no way that that relationship of any kind will be successful. It's just a matter of time before it fails. So there's no reason for us to believe that an employer and an employee relationship uh, would work without trust. So if we assume that trust, there's the trust, but there's that insecurity of uh, knowing if the person is working or not, I think um, uh, I would say like people would get surprised if you give the first step ahead and you have the right processes and tools and clarity, passion, and ways of measuring like outcomes, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the combination of all of that would make that manager or that person that asked that question to feel a little bit more um, comfortable. Many people are still insecure about this. And um, I would definitely suggest to find like what are like the processes and the methods and empowerment and culture that you have in place. Uh, Because I, I like to say that you can never underestimate what a motivated team with process and guidelines in place can actually achieve. Uh, it's a transformation. The traditional model of like seeing people to measure outcomes, it's quite outdated, Steve. Yes, <laughs> and it is. I mean, that's exactly right. It's coming from 100 years of, of uh, doing things in one way in a building, the only way people knew how to do it. And of course, even as you were, I'm hearing you describe it here, it comes right back around to, to your website, you know, the notion of crossing the equator, that idea of you are literally crossing over some sort of border from the old world to the new world or an old way of doing things to a new way of doing things. And with that, indeed, having trust in your crew. I mean, you were saying before about the, the nautical analogies and your passion for sailing, uh, how a crew needs to have individuals with skills, but also the capacity to communicate and to collaborate with the rest of the crew so that a captain or any sort of senior official can trust their people to do what's required. So this is why I loved the the combination of these things in the book. But there's a lot of tools in the book. There's a lot of workable things there. The rule of three, for example, as you look back on the creation of the book, you know, is anything else that anything that stands out to you as the as the one thing that you like to describe to people as saying, here's something in my book that you can take and work with right away. I'm really proud of. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I think uh, every chapter brings some uh, <laughs> something very unique. So that's a very uh, hard question uh, for me to answer. I I think like the notion that. Uh, even, uh, you know, if, if you know me for a while, if you worked with me or if you if you being one of the companies that I was able to uh, help contribute and make it successful is the one team, one heart model. It's really hard to put a group of people together and share the same vision and make them to move towards to that direction. And I think that's the challenge for any leader. It's like, how can you have the best people to join your team, create the environment that they will be feeling comfortable to give the best version of themselves and then achieve a goal? And you're right. I use a lot of uh, metaphors with like sailing uh, and racing mm-hmm. because it's the same concept. But when you are building digital products, Everyone has a different opinion. Everyone has a different background or like a a different culture, different perspective. The one team, one heart, it's what connects each one of these different perspectives. 
So the iron triangle, the metrics and how you measure uh, outcomes, the measurement of a team mood, which I talk about, the concept of like repetition is key, opening the net, it's humans mm-hmm. with different opinions and different uh, perspectives. So if you can actually create this environment where people can connect, it's, I, I think it's the heart of the book and what I believe, what forms like a strong team. I hope I answer your question, Steve, on that one. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about this is there there have been books on management for decades, right? I mean, everyone wants to know how to be a great manager or how to manage things better. So there's a lot of things people are looking at as to what worked in the past, but the constant here is about humans at the root of all the things that are good in our organization. And they can be the, of the root of the bad things too. I mean, one bad apple, for example, can can really, let's say, switch a manager off and saying, well, if I have one employee who really abuses the trust that I gave to my employees, I can't trust any of them. It's very easy to see where people could could go astray and say, this isn't going to work. But what is different right now is this is a new era. You know, really, I think we're going to look back on 2020 as a real major equator. Uh, this is a place we leapt over from one to the other. And we're now into a new era of working, hiring, and interviewing. That's uh it's one of my new passions. It's, it's about like uh, how to bring the right people to your team, right? I have a few talks lined up uh, about this topic and then it's been a topic that I've been living and briefing and studying and, and, and researching and then figure out like what is the magic or if any, because I want to know how can we bring the best people? And equally important is how do we retain the best people? And uh, what, I've, what I've been uh, realizing and actually uh, come up out uh, of this research is that the workforce today, the qualified workforce, they can choose among so many offers mm-hmm. where they're going to work, what product they're going to build, and uh, in what capacity they're going to contribute. So traditional mindset and traditional companies, they are losing their competitiveness Yes. because they cannot hire or retain the great talent. Uh, back in the day, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, big companies, you know, oh, we have like great salaries, great benefits, and they would actually uh, uh, make people to dream about those jobs. Whatever worked like at that time, definitely it's struggling today. So what is the answer? And I think the answer is connecting more and more the passion about each individual with their customers, with their products. So someone, as an example, someone that is not passionate about finance, there's, there's not enough money that you can pay for a person to work for finance if that's not the, the, the person's passion. And the market is pretty competitive. Uh, if you've been trying to hire engineers of any specialty from cybersecurity to backend, front-end, automation, whatever specialty and, and on the product team, on design, it's been quite challenged. So what I say and what I will start saying on my talks, which is going to be like the new series, uh, is going to be around interviewing. The foundation is it's created an environment where the person that is interviewing and the person that's interviewed, they have more like a conversation mm-hmm. than actually an interview. It has to be both ways. It has to be a fair environment. It's not like the traditional environment where I ask and you answer, and I create an environment that many times is intimidating or many times, you know, prevents 
people with different cultures, languages, gender apply for a job. So you need to create that environment that is welcoming, that uh, people can actually answer questions, but also ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like the new change and this is like uh, what needs to happen. And I've been successfully doing that for some time. And um, I like to say these words, Steve, you have companies or like you as an, uh, a hiring manager, you should be hiring people based on who they really are versus what they can show off in an interview. And if you can actually break that mindset of like, I have a position and then the person needs a job, that person yeah, maybe needs a job, but there's so many offers. So how, how can you attract and bring the people that really are passionate about your customer base? Is a passion about your product, a passion about what you're doing. And yes, you have to compensate you well. You have like the full package. It needs to be attractive, but that's what's going to help you to be doing successful interviews. And most importantly, if all those boxes check, then you're going to be able to retain more easily. And then your, your retention mechanism will not only be throwing more money on the table because it's proving, and there's many books that talk about that and, uh, and, and studies, money, it's a temporarily uh, motivation uh, instrument. I just have one very brief question just to end this off because you've given us so much already. But what could people do in terms of schooling? You know, for the next generation of kids coming through and preparing for their jobs in high school and college, is there anything that we could do to make the education frame this mindset better? I mean, or, or are they already ahead without needing a college to tell them what to do? You know that I've been uh, most of my career in education, so it's probably like a topic for another podcast. The workforce and uh, the market and the demand, think about like the past 20, 30 years, how much everything changed around us, especially in technology. You know, um, every time when I see things from like late 80s or like uh, at some point in the 90s, I say, oh, another day I showed like a a CD and a DVD to my daughter. She's seven. She asked, what is this? <laughs> and why? Is, I said, no, there's like data and there's media inside. And she asked, like, really? And she looks at the CD. But how and why you have this hole? Like yeah. I said, okay, so let's, let's go back. And I didn't realize we were talking about the 90s. It just feel like yesterday. See how I think we, we our generation, you know, if you're like you know, right now between 30 and 50 and 60, you and, and, and beyond, you saw all this, right? I'm actually 40 now, and I, I've seen this transformation. I was part of this transformation. I did get like a bachelor's in computer science. I did a master, and I went through traditional education. Mm-hmm. As I look forward, I think education must change. We must have like a much more of what's called like personalized learning. I think uh, if we all agree that every human being is different, that is the foundation to, for personalized learning, where each individual will be measured and learn in different times and measured in, in, in different ways. I, I think the concept that everyone in a class needs to learn the same thing, it's a dated uh, concept, if you ask my personal opinion. And uh, I think education is changing already. Before we had to invest hours and a lot of time seeking for data, going to the library and find information. Today, the challenge is like filtering this information and actually finding information and and transforming all that data 
inactionable outcomes. So as I said, Steve, it'd be like a long conversation, but I think my recommendation is, yes, the ecology, the way that you and I went, it needs to change. It has to change. And it's been changing. Back in the day, yes, like uh, having a five-year degree and a master, that would be impressive. Today, especially if you're talking about technology, you find the, like little genius, very capable professionals, uh, much earlier, much younger, and very impressive talent. I believe it has to change and it will change. And so much opportunity in this field. All this conversation about humanizing more and connecting people and collaboration will become more and more important as the new generation is way more connected digitally than personally. We have to discuss that further, Steve, but that's like my, not two cents, but probably 20 cents on the topic. (laughs) I love that. Absolutely. And yes, let's do some more because uh, there's so much to talk about here. I'd love to connect once again. If you have the time to share some more wisdom with us, that would be just marvelous. Where can people find you? Where do you want them to go to check out your book and check out everything else that you talk about and that you do? Yes, yes, yes. Well, um, I'm always open to connect, to talk, to uh, discuss. That's how I learn. And a lot of my book, a lot of my talks, as I mentioned earlier, is it's just about like my practical experience. So what I write is based on what I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's connecting with the, the community. So I have my website, which is crossingdequator.com. I'm available in LinkedIn. If you type my name, Alberto Silvera, as you're going to see in the description, you, you find me in LinkedIn, you find me in Twitter, you find me like in all these social media. And feel free, feel free to provide feedback, to give me ideas, to validate some ideas. And uh, I would love that. Thank you very much. Well, Alberto, this has been delightful and I do really look forward to doing it again because there's so much to talk about in this quickly changing world. So thank you so much for joining us today on the Cool Time Live podcast. Thank you. So there you have it, our interview with Alberto Silvera. You can find out more about him and his book, which is also available as an audiobook on Audible, by going to crossingtheequator.com. That's just one big word, crossingtheequator.com. If you have a comment about this podcast, you can drop me a line through the contact format steveprentice.com, where you can also find my social media links. A full listing of past episodes is available on the website as well under the podcast tab. I try to keep the episodes evergreen so that the concepts do not get dated too quickly. So check them out and download whatever feels good. And if you want, you can now pick up my new book, which has more to say on the subject of fear in the workplace. Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and search for The Future of Workplace Fear. Until next time, I'm Steve Prentice. Stay safe and thanks for listening.